Episode 1, The Happy King Welcome to Catholic Family Stories. Before we begin, we consecrate this podcast series to Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, our Mother. May you use these stories as you see best to give glory to your Son and draw others to Him in eternity. My name is Joseph Scordato, your storyteller. Since today is the Feast of St. Francis, we thought we would start off our podcast series with a unique story about this saint whose transformation is central to our own family life, being Franciscans ourselves. As you will see, it is a different type of fairy tale known as an allegory. Let's see if you can guess who the characters represent in the story. It is a story that explains what a wonderful life that is ours, if, as it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, we but wash our clothes in the blood of the Lamb. The Happy King by Joseph Scordato There once was a young man, Giovanni, who lived in a beautiful kingdom. In this land, the streets were lined with flowers and beautiful trees. The air was fragrant and the sun always seemed to shine. The people of this kingdom were generally happy, going about their daily business with a smile as if they knew some special secret that was so wonderful that they themselves would be unable to describe what it was if asked. Giovanni, however, was not happy. He somehow felt outside of this world, although he was living in it. For some reason, the joy that surrounded him only seemed to lower his spirits because for some reason he felt like an outsider. Perhaps these feelings plagued him because of his demanding father, Pietro. His father seemed to know what was best in business and it was his job to instill in his son the behaviors needed to get along in the merchant world of the village. Mostly, though, the young man found his father's favor cold and distant, a trophy to earn which was constantly shifting so it would never be won. His father was often impatient and angry. Mostly, this had the effect of isolating Giovanni in a sad loneliness. He was at his father's side always, but a world apart. If only his father would care less for growing his business and value Giovanni for who he was, not another Pietro. Unfortunately, the young man observed similar traits in others that had positions of authority, whose sworn duty was to serve and lead the village he lived in, but in subtle ways failed to do so when it did not satisfy their own personal gain. Perhaps Giovanni also felt like an outsider because of the king and prince who ruled the kingdom 
In this land lived a great and kind king who deeply loved the people in the kingdom. He constantly fought valiantly for them, defending them from would-be invaders and slave traders attacking from neighboring lands. He had rescued the inhabitants of Giovanni's village from a tyrant who had originally enslaved them all. This king so loved being with his subjects that when his son was born, he could not hide this special moment behind the castle walls. Rather, he ran, almost danced to each house with a fanfare of a great triumph, holding the newborn for each person to see, exclaiming to each house that his son would bring great joy to each of them. Rejoice! Rejoice! A prince for you! A beautiful prince to bring you great joy! The king placed his child into every arm in the village that day and whispered in every ear that his child was indeed theirs as well. The king's joy was inexpressible. He wanted everyone to know the joy of knowing the prince. It was then that the king did something remarkable. In demonstration of the power and truth of his word, he went to the poorest young maid he could find and asked her to raise his child in the village so that everyone might know his son and know both his own joy firsthand and how deeply he loved his people. The maid agreed and raised him along with a noble-hearted and hard-working young peasant who both loved the maid and immediately cherished the baby. In the years that followed, the son was a delight to the people. The son loved his foster family and loved his father the king who was a constant visitor. The child was generous of heart and strong and good spirit. He took after his father, the king, in every way. He never once bragged about being the prince and seemed to be more given to caring for others whenever they were sick or lonely. He especially delighted in transporting and welcoming poor immigrants from the neighboring slave lands. Giovanni, the young man of our story, was often perplexed by this odd business of the king and the prince. Although the prince did not live in the castle, the union of mind, heart, and spirit the prince and the king shared was so strong one could almost see it. Certainly the young man could sense it. It was like an invisible radiance or a hidden person igniting and dancing like a flame, strong, uncontrollable, yet mysteriously bounded by this great relationship shared by the king and the prince and the people of the kingdom. The young man dreamed of being like the prince so as to know the king more. He wished there was a door somewhere by which one could enter in and become a member of this unique royal family and thus enter into the king's favor in such a direct way. But his father was not the king. Here, too, the young Giovanni was an outsider. 
One day the attack from the neighboring kingdom was particularly horrible. One of the village leaders, a friend of his father's, turned traitor and opened the city gate to the invaders for a sack of silver coins. As the invaders entered the town, the villagers crumbled in fear, recalling their earlier days of slavery. In an evil retaliation, the invaders quickly stole the children and enslaved the women so as to teach the men never to dare dream of freedom or allow the king to rescue them again. The invaders reminded its inhabitants that it was worse for them now because they had not been content with their rightful service of slavery to their previous ruler. Broken in fear and shame, most of the village men were willingly recruited to defend the village from the good king whose counterattack was eminent. Soon, the king arrived for the rescue. His great army surrounded his dear village, and the trumpet sounded, calling for the invader's surrender. The king's messenger was sent to the invading captain. Surrender! You are no match for the king's forces. The invaders responded. There will be no surrender. It is the king's own subjects that defend us in their pitiful fear. Come and slaughter your own people. Even though their defeat was assured, the invaders rejoiced in their cleverness, and the once beloved and rescued subjects of the king would now die fighting against the king's own forces to liberate them. Although the military victory would be the king's because of his clear might, the invaders would have the victory of vengeance to the king's heart. The prince, who had been busily encouraging his fellow townspeople not to fear, for his father would come shortly, saw his opportunity. He could not allow his father and the townspeople to be at war. His father loved these people who had become the prince's family. Bravely, he walked to the leader of the invaders and introduced himself as the king's son. He offered himself as a hostage to ensure safe transit for the invaders' escape and a deterrent from further battle. The village leaders readily acknowledged to the invaders that this was indeed the king's son and proposed that rather than commence the battle and lose their regained slaves to death, that the prince's offer be accepted. They would all safely depart to the invader's country, where they could then put the prince to death. The invaders would have both the military victory, their slaves, and a greater vengeance against the king. Surely the king's heart would be broken all the more to see his son dead, and himself abandoned by his people, his former subjects, preferring their original slavery and in their shame, never able to return to the king. All happened as planned. The prince assured the safe transit and once in the land of the invaders, was killed as a criminal and a rebel. As a sign to all, the slave tyrant executed the prince through a command to his regained slaves. The order was for the prince to die at the grave 
of the first slave to further instill fear and present a symbol of the completeness of the tyrant's power. Prior to his execution, however, the prince encouraged the people to be faithful and trust in the king's compassion for them. He carefully selected a few close friends and instructed them to carry on the work of caring for the villagers, particularly those who seemed lost to the slavery. To give them strength, he asked them to visit the site of his execution after his death to be reminded of the king's love. The prince had no grudge against the people who rebelled. He knew they feared. He also knew how deeply his father loved each one of them. Dying for them would demonstrate this, just like on the day he was given to the villagers as a newborn. Assured of this love, perhaps they would forget their fear and embrace the king's rescue when it came. Giovanni heard the words murmured throughout the villagers how the prince peaceably embraced each one of his executioners and assured them and all the people that he and his father loved and forgave each one of them. Despite the present situation, the prince proclaimed that they could never be separated from the king's love and implored the people to cast off their fear and not resist the king who loved them. His close friends, touched and emboldened by what the prince had said and done, eventually went to visit the execution site. Even though it had been several days, the prince's blood was miraculously still fresh on the ground. Something changed in them when they touched the blood. Although they appeared the same, they were different. At moments, each friend thought they saw the prince out of the corner of their eye. But when they turned to look, it was one of their group. Intrigued by this and a strange excitement welling inside of them, they returned each day to the execution site. The blood was still fresh each day as if it were the earth itself bleeding for the sake of this great love. Each day the friends touched the blood and mysteriously began to resemble the prince themselves. At times they would find themselves saying or doing something in the way the prince would. There were other times when a villager would excitedly run up to them, mistaking them for the prince. They were filled with hope. They joyfully began to fulfill the commission the prince gave them to care for those enslaved. News soon spread about the miraculous blood fountain. People would come in crowds to see it and touch the blood. Some brought articles of clothing and gave it to these friends of the prince to wash in the blood so that they could wear their new clothing and resemble the prince throughout the day. Giovanni was astonished at what he was hearing about the blood fountain and the prince's friends. He even knew some people who wore clothes that were washed in the blood. 
they had been changed. Although they were the same villagers he knew all his life, they did resemble the prince in some ways. However, what grabbed his attention the most was when he heard these fellow villagers began to refer to the good king as their own loving father. Giovanni was overcome with emotion. He ran to his home and made bundles of all his clothes in the house. They all must be washed in this fountain. His father caught up with Giovanni just as he arrived at the fountain. Giovanni was happy to see his father and exclaimed, Look, we will wash all of our clothes here and so know this great love and transformation. His father, though, did not share Giovanni's sentiment. He was angered. He was not about to let his son make a fool and a target of himself walking around town in bloodied garments. He particularly was not going to allow his own property to be destroyed. He ordered Giovanni to return home. Giovanni turned to look at the blood fountain. It was then that he heard the voice of the kind king. I am your father. I am fatherhood. Have no fear. Be my son and be about the work of a prince. Giovanni was in a daze. His father made one last demand. All the clothing must be returned immediately. Yes, father, was Giovanni's peaceful reply. He handed the bundles to his father and even gave him the clothes he was wearing. To the astonishment of all, he dove into the fountain like one eager to take a bath who had never really had one. Giovanni emerged from the fountain, stained red, yet fully resembling the prince. Poor, stained, and joyful Giovanni rushed through the streets, announcing the surprising news that the good king, his father, had arrived. Some thought he was crazy, while most left their slavery and went to the blood fountain to look for the king's army. There, they too experienced the miraculous blood, never to fear anything that would separate them from the king. The king rode into the tyrant's city with the resounding cheer of its people, freed from fear, not one lost to battle. The tyrant was banished. Riding with the king was the prince who was thought to have been lost. Upon seeing Giovanni, the prince jumped off his horse and embraced the young man, saying, Well done, my little brother, and endearingly called him by his nickname, Francis. He turned to those with Francis and smiled, My dear brothers and sisters. The king burst with joy, My dear sons and daughters, at long last. This was The Happy King, read by myself and my darling bride, 
Maureen Scordato. What we read for you is a story about St. Francis. It is also a story of God, our Father, the King, and His Son, Jesus, the Prince, who gave Himself out of love for the Father and each of us. The blood fountain still gushes today. You may also know it as the Eucharist, the actual body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, humbled and given for you. So much so did St. Francis abandon everything in his life for Christ, our Eucharist, that he bore the appearance of Jesus. He was the first person to have the stigmata, the wounds of Jesus from the crucifixion, miraculously upon his body. St. Francis tells us, O sons of men, how long will you be hard of heart? Why do you not recognize the truth and believe in the Son of God? See, daily he humbles himself, as when he came from the royal throne into the womb of the Virgin. Daily he comes to us in a humble form. Daily he comes from the bosom of the Father upon the altar in the hands of the priest. And as he appeared to the holy apostles in true flesh, so now he reveals himself to us in the sacred bread. And as they saw only his flesh by means of their bodily sight, yet believed him to be God as they contemplated him with the eyes of faith, so as we see bread and wine with our bodily eyes, we too are to see and firmly believe them to be his most holy body and blood living and true. And in this way, the Lord is always with his faithful. As he himself says, Behold, I am with you even to the end of the earth. Let us pray together. Lord God, our Father, come and sweeten our souls with your Holy Spirit in this moment. Reveal to us the depths of your intimacy with us in your holy bread, your actual Son, Jesus, that we may be transformed more and more into his likeness and be united with you forever in the embrace and joy of the Trinity. Amen. Our meditation music is Croy and Athos. Written and performed by Emerald Wind. From my family to yours, God bless you.